Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kego Lasso. We have a great episode for you today. James Benj, our very own James Benj, interviewed Arsene Wenger. Uh, a great conversation where he discussed his legacy, you know, Highbury and the Emirates, uh, his thoughts on Mikel Arteta, Pep Guardiola, and so much more. We have a brief uh, introduction as I chat to James about it, then the actual interview. Uh, enjoy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Kego Lasso. As promised, we have James Bench here joining me, CBS Sports' James Bench, as he had a great conversation with former Arsenal manager, Arsene Wenger. James, welcome to Kego Lasso once again, my friend. How are you? It's my pleasure to be here. Um, super excited to be sharing this with you. It's, um, I think, you know, for anyone that's had the career I've had of mostly covering Arsenal, this is like... This is a real highlight. And obviously, you know, I've spoken to Arsene Wenger before, but, you know, he, I've not sat down with him before um, at length, like in this conversation. I hope everyone enjoys it because um, I really enjoyed talking to him. I'm very excited, as well as our listeners, especially Arsenal fans, to hear Arsene Wenger. Um, any, any things that we should be watching out for as we get right into it? I really love talking to him about Highbury and the Emirates Stadium. Um, there's a fascinating relationship there where he views um, effectively Emirates Stadium as the stadium he built. I mean, honestly, I think he probably thinks that he had a spade in his hand and was shoveling it all out. Um, and he kind of has that view of the Emirates compared to this absolute love of Highbury. And it's really interesting talking to him about how his feelings for these two are so different. Um, but there's loads of great stuff there. Whatever you're interested in, whether it's Olivier Giroud, Mikel Arteta, Pep Guardiola, he doesn't maybe like talking about the 8-2 against uh, Man United, but I thought that might be the case. <laughs> yeah, us too. Listen, ahead of the North London Derby, uh, this is a great interview uh, with James Bench as he interviews Arsene Wenger. Enjoy. We spoke pre you leaving Arsenal about how you were keen to do another job. Have you enjoyed this more than you thought you would? Yes, slowly, yes. You know, I still, uh, of course, it's a different way, but uh, it is a more global approach and uh, can uh, be as well. The response is not as quick as it is in uh, competition, but as well, the influence can be uh, positive and uh, 
of all, I, I, uh, you have a broad, more global view of all the football problems, and uh, it's a little bit less on immediate result and more on thinking how can I improve things. And that time, it's you know whatever level of management you're in, it seems like that is the most precious commodity and the hardest to find anywhere in world football at the moment. The time you have now. Yes, that's true. I have more time available to think as well. And uh, in, in football, uh, when you're as a manager, you always think about the next game, the next game, the next game. And here you uh, think more about how uh, can you make football more spectacular, uh, better to watch, uh, prepare the future and uh, give everybody a chance in the world to play football. And uh, that's not the case at the moment because it's the gap, the gulf between uh, Europe and the rest of the world has become bigger. And uh, we have uh, taken on the responsibility to try to move things forward in uh, continents where uh, many people want to play and cannot play at the moment. I remember in your last few years of management, you, you said on a few occasions that the game, whether in Europe or in the Premier League, was lacking... Um, that spectacular nature. Do you still, do you feel that watching from afar that it, it's not as spectacular as it was, whatever that means? Well, I would say spectacular maybe, uh, I don't know if I use that word, I just say it's more predictable. Mm. Uh, the world has uh, evolution has made football more predictable because, uh, because of the concentration of a financial power into a few clubs and uh, that has made it more predictable, yes? Yes. If I ask you who will uh, win the championship in France, in Germany, in Italy, in Spain, uh, you all know in England, maybe as well. So it is uh, a little bit more pred uh, in Italy as well. So that uh, made it a bit more predictable because of, con because of a concentration of uh, economical power inside the clubs. Just, just reflecting on yourself and, and the last few months, and writing the book as well. How did you find the, the period of reflection? I got the sense you were never one for reflecting while you were in the job. Yeah, I found it uh, painful. I found it as well, uh, in hindsight, that uh, uh, somewhere it was a bit interesting. I, I wanted to do it basically not to say, uh, to explain uh, how uh, special I am or how good I am. I wanted to do it just to explain to people that life can, uh, for young people, that life can be full of surprises and bigger than what you could, could dream of about, you know, and as well uh, share, share about uh, uh, what I've learned about top level people, what I've learned about management and what I learned about human resources that everybody has in uh, himself, you know, that's why it does. At the start of my book, I, I wrote that uh, uh, we can help everybody to discover how great he can be, you know, as a manager. So that, that is uh, quite uh, great. And do you take particular pride from, uh, this was something that Per Mertesacker spoke about as well, about helping people develop as individuals as much as as footballers. Is that something that you take particular pride in? Yeah, I think... Uh, you're proud. Uh, if you can influence people's life in a positive way, 
uh, it's something that is satisfying and uh, uh, we always do not always manage to do it let's not be fooled as well you know but uh, it's uh, when you can do it it's great it's a great feeling and this is I, I spoke to your former chief scout um francis a few weeks ago um about this same thing how you as a an organization managed to find players that shared the values of Arsenal and the deep connections that you yourself had. How do you go about finding that in a player, in a footballer? How do you know if they're the right fit for a particular club? I would say, uh, first of all, uh, to get uh, to share the values, first you must uh, have a clarity uh, about the values that are important for you. And then uh, you have to formulate them clearly as well and then you can uh, maybe share them with uh, with people but uh, it is basically to create a culture of behavior a culture of performance and uh, it is about what do we want what do we toler not tolerate inside the club you know and uh, overall i would say uh, define values I, I i think we developed well the arsenal name because we developed uh, values that are shared with everybody, give chance to young people, uh, behave in a certain way, try to play entertaining football, this kind of values that uh, then after that, you try to find uh, people who have a good balance between motivation and intelligence, you know? Uh, yeah, absolutely. There was one, um part of your, I mean, there were obviously many great parts of your Arsenal career that that you didn't strike on in the book. Um, one that, that stood out, and why would you want to bring it up, I guess, was was the period after that defeat at Old Trafford, um, the 8-2. I wouldn't want to make you dwell too much on that, of course. But I thought there was a moment there that, that has informed Arsenal's history ever since, most of all with the players you, you signed, Per Mertesacker and Mikel Arteta, who are now key figures in the club. What did you, what do you, you gain any pride from how the club responded to and how you yourself responded to that really tough day um, in Arsenal? Well, the, the day, of course, was tough because it was a bad result, but uh, you have to put the result, big results have never big meaning, you know. It is a big uh, media fuss about it, but. Uh, Liverpool lost already 7-2 at Aston Villa and nobody made a fuss of it, you know? Yeah. And uh, so, and we are still top of the league. I, I believe on the day, we had uh, over half of the team out and we played uh, three days before in an unbelievable heat uh, qualify against Udinese and qualified. So, on that day, the result was uh, nearly predictable, you know? But... Uh, it's as well, uh, uh, life, top-level sport is about to recover from disappointment and uh, and get on with it, you know. It's, uh, that's, uh, it was not, I must say, uh, something that uh, I have in my mind today from my career at Arsenal, you know. Even if it was, uh, of course, I, you are angry, you're disappointed. But uh, uh, when you look back, uh, there is an explanation behind it. What did you see in, in Arteta and in Mertesacker when you were signing them as players? And do you see the same? Well, they were focused and motivated, you know, and after that, uh, we have to make the career that's not done yet, you know. 
they just start, you know. And uh, uh, they are as well uh, uh, in a position where they can, uh, I think, uh, uh, represent the Arsenal culture, the way to behave, the way to educate people, the way to play football. So, of all, I felt that uh, over the generations, I had many, many, many players who could have done this job, but uh, they were at the right moment in the right place. Is it is it just a quirk of timing? What qualities do those two men have to leave Ars- lead Arsenal? I think uh, they have a certain uh, ethical uh, aspect in the, the way they uh, approach their job. They are focused. They have a desire to improve, internal need to to improve, and uh, that's good a good basis. And they are intelligent. Do they do they suffer maybe the same challenges that you suffered, uh, Mikel in particular, about a lack of patience from Arsenal supporters, from football supporters in general? Look, uh, I uh, don't believe in patience in football. You know. Uh, you have three months to have an imp in uh, when you arrive somewhere. And if I look at my clubs, everywhere I arrived, it didn't take me three years to have an influence. You know, that's that's uh, uh, an idea that's uh, floating around, uh, but uh, it is uh, never works like that way. Or you have an influence at the start, or you never have one. But do you see that Mikel has that influence? Look, I uh, I think so, yes, but uh, I am not at the club. I, I, after it's uh, the way the team plays and the, the, the games you win or you lose, you know, it's simple. Just It's about results. Uh, uh, despite all that, what gives you credibility is do you win or lose football games, you know? It's as simple as that. Absolutely. But do you, you know, when the Premier League is, is at the level it's at now, that, you know, does there have to be an acceptance that there will be these periods of difficulty for every top side? I mean, you mentioned Liverpool there. Man City. I don't think the Premier League is better now than it was 10 years ago. What makes you think that? If you look uh, at the Manchester United team or the Chelsea team 10 years ago, they had, uh, they had top quality players. <laughs> you know, uh, people forget when we played uh, uh, the Invincible season, Man United uh, was Ronaldo, uh, was uh, Cristiano Ronaldo, Van Nistelrooy, Scholes, Giggs, and uh, they had an exceptional team, you know. So the the competition was always of a very high level. After Chelsea had the Drogba, Lampard, Robben, and uh, all these players, you you have, uh, I don't believe, a second, but... uh, that has changed in England in the last uh, 15 years. We had the best players in the world. Do you think the quality has become more spread out as well around every every team has a, you know, Aston Villa have a Jack Grealish. Uh, every team has a, a top level player in a way maybe they didn't a few years ago. I had as well 15 years ago, you know. They had Jack Grealish at Aston Villa. They had, uh, they had top level players in the clubs. Uh, I don't believe that at the end of the day uh, will change the result. I, I'm, what, what has happened is maybe uh, uh, the scouting has become better in the smaller clubs. 
over the years, the, sci the science has been moved into these clubs as well in uh, scouting, and uh, they make better decisions in buying players. In terms of the, the broader Premier League as well, um, one of the interesting trends of late has been the two top managers, Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp, have both seem to be setting down routes for the, the longer term. You've rebuilt a, one title winning side into another. How do you go about doing that and building a, you know, a career beyond three or four years at one club? I'm making the right decisions at the right moment. What decisions did you make right in, in 2003 or around that, you know, in the early 2000s? I don't know. I think, uh, first of all, uh, uh, they're, they're ahead. There are two intelligent managers. They're ahead of uh, clubs who have uh, financial potential to buy the players uh, who... Uh, I had the best are the best players in Europe at the moment, so I trust them. Uh, they will do that very well. Why did many managers not want to do what you did? The thing that shines through the book so much is your that you never regret spending so long at Arsenal. That there's no wish that you'd tried some another club. Why didn't other managers enjoy moving elsewhere? What do you think? Look, first of every manager uh, is different. Every manager works with his own personality. And uh, I was as well the longest serving manager ever in Monaco. What people forget, you know, so maybe it's down to me. And uh, I, I believe as well, I uh, have a kind of personality who likes to belong to something that, that he believes is bigger than him. and. Uh, some an, uh, an organization as well where i believe I who shares my values and my beliefs you know that was for a long time the case in uh, at arsenal that's why i stayed for a long time and as well i was in a challenge i pushed the club as well to build a new stadium mm. so I, I i did it did your values end up being shaped by arsenal and did that did you ever get the sense that was happening the, in the other direction? No, I, uh, I, I uh, when I say that, I think one of a person uh, thinks of my uh, character as well. Uh, I uh, need to have the freedom to work like I want to work, even if it's with restrictions that I accept. But uh, I needed the freedom to work like I wanted to work. Another key part of the book is um, is when David Dean leaves. It feels like there's a real moment of self-doubt there. Looking back, when you came to rewriting that, did, did you feel like you were maybe further closer to leaving Arsenal then than at any other time? Yes, I was. What convinced you to stay? Uh, the fact, first of all, that David Dean asked me to stay. And... Uh, and uh, the second thing is to go to the end of that, that challenge is to pay the stadium back. You know, today Arsenal is in a very strong financial position. Since I left, they invested a huge amount of money because when I left, there was money there. We're not bankrupt, you know. The stadium is paid, uh, the money is there. So uh, I think uh, uh, you want to leave the club in a position where you can uh, prepare the future. 
And you, you said, um, you know, in those final few months, you felt like you were leaving the, the club in a better place than you found it. Um, what, what for you in particular made you think that way at the time? Look, when I arrived, there was no training ground, there was no stadium. And I built both and uh, without one penny of, of help from anybody. Only with the, the resources we created for, our, for the quality of our work. So uh, that's what makes me feel, uh, think like that, you know. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Um, one of the things that, that kind of, one of the great examples of that, I suppose, is um, the transfer of Nicholas and Elka, uh, which is, I think, is one of many that you kind of mention in the book you you feel no ill will, no regret. Is that because you see what you were able to achieve in light of making those sales? In light, no, of- I I I I, uh, I said I have regrets of every mistake I made in my life. You know, I uh, I uh, do not say I made no mistakes, and uh, I regret every one I made. I, I think I have no remorse because I could work with the values I wanted to work, and uh, and uh, that's basically it. Nicholas and Elka wanted to leave, and uh, so I, uh, I'm sorry that he left, but uh, overall, uh, uh, I believe it, it was a bit early for him. I mean, the other kind of major transfer that, that's briefly mentioned in the book is, is that of Ashley Cole. Was there no temptation when you're writing this? You say that there was the certain circumstances, but don't divulge much more. Was there no temptation to to put across your side of the story to to maybe settle a few misconceptions and misunderstandings? Well, it was a misunderstanding about five thousand pounds. That uh, that's all, you know. And uh, after that, uh, 
they left, but he was tapped up by uh, Chelsea at the time, and uh, the deal was done. You know. In in general, though, so in general terms, I mean, was were you not keen to uh, give your side of the story more? It, it seems a, a as you say, a book about helping people to understand why, how, how young men, yourself included, and then the players you coach, how they develop, and not perhaps one that's given over to explaining why you were right in certain, certain circumstances and, and why your side of the story is, is the correct one. Well, I explained about, uh, I didn't want to go too much into uh, little stories, you know, because uh, I made about 450 transfers, and as you mentioned by Ashley Cole, uh, every transfer could basically be a book, you know, if you wanted to talk about it in detail. But I wanted more to give uh, broader lessons of what I learned and uh, speak about more that uh, even if you have not uh, a childhood that prepares you to have a, a life uh, at top level football, you can still make it. I, 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 th I think that really shines through in, in the book. And particularly, you know, the, the passages um, about your own, your own career. One of the things, though, that is really apparent is it's quite relentless. <laughs> your career goes from retiring to soon well, playing and coaching, and then you're on to your next management job and your next. I think there's one brief period, isn't there, between Monaco and, and the move to Japan where you have time to reflect. Yeah, it was uh, only... Uh basically one month, because in November I moved already to Japan, you know, it's a holiday. Do you, do you wish there, were, there was more time, more, more moments of reflection? No, because I loved it, you know, and uh, I think uh, I, uh, I, I'm not scared to say I dedicated my life to that, because uh, you need to find the meaning in your life and football was the meaning of my life. I, I know it can sound stupid, and uh, it can uh, the dedication I had for my club uh, can sound stupid as well, but I am like that. So uh, I, I couldn't, and maybe even didn't try to change because I was, if happiness is to lead the life that you love, I must say I'm, I was very happy. And there were never sort of any prolonged moments where you thought, is this the life I love? Never any paths that you thought maybe I should try this different career? I didn't question my life, no. I questioned my ability to do well, yes, many times. But uh, I need never question uh, what I did, no. Well, I, I suppose for a lot of people, and you know, I, I grew up at the period when your Arsenal teams were the, the best in Europe. Why would you question your, your own ability to achieve at that level when you were, you know, you had... Because I think uh, to work at the top level, you always have to... The basic job of a manager is to trade, take the best uh, out of a potential of the team. I think uh, you never know, did you take the maximum out of your team? When you win a championship without losing a game, you can say yes, because there's not room to do much better. So I, I, I always questioned my ability to do that. And uh, of all, I think, uh, you know, people will always keep this, this uh, period. But I think I uh, took the maximum out of the team uh, later on many times, but we had not the same potential. 
and I, and I think as Arsenal fans have started looking back, there's a newfound respect, understanding for for how challenging that that period around the Emirates Stadium was. And you reflect on this in your book. It was, I mean, how do you compare that as an achievement to the Invincibles? Because it's I don't know. I just think uh, we qualified 19 uh, times on the trot in the Champions League and moved 19 times out of the group stage, you know, and uh, overall, when you look at it today, maybe or with a bigger distance, it will look uh, the consistency at the top level is the most difficult. And we see that uh, uh, in every single club. And perhaps people didn't quite appreciate how trying these circumstances were because you know, they're, they're... no, I can understand that because it's not so much their problem, you know. They want to win the championship and the cup and the Champions League, what I can understand, but uh, uh, overall, uh, I would say, uh, today maybe they realize that that kind of consistency is not easy. There's a, there's a strange sort of relationship that you seem to have goes throughout the book with your love of Highbury and your pride in the Emirates Stadium. Would you say that's a, a fair approximation of your, your relationship between the two? Yes. And there's, there's one lovely little passage that, um, that crops up as well, where you said you looked at buying a house in Highbury. It's only a moment. Could you maybe expand on, did you really think about buying that one of those flats? Because they're not cheap. Yes, but I, I was, but I was thinking, no, maybe it's not the best thing to do it, not to invest at the moment we are building it. I don't want to, I always didn't want to buy a share, nor a flat, because I didn't want as well, honestly, to be accused of doing something, taking advantage of something at the club, you know. I didn't use, during my whole period, I didn't use the credit card of Arsenal for the, even to invite agents or players. I paid for myself, you know, because I knew that was a very sensitive period and uh, it starts with the leaders. So, uh, but it's true that I have a strange relationship uh, with Highbury, maybe because you you feel somewhere when you walked in, uh, you're part of, uh, of uh, history, mm -hmm. you know, and you have a on your shoulders, the, the responsibility to continue uh, that history of the club, and where you feel a soul in every part of, of, of uh, at every corner, you know. And after that, yes, uh, I think Emirates uh, is a great stadium that I love, but uh, and that was needed. But uh, still, my first success was there. I was questioned, and I straight away win the championship. So. It is something special relationship with the, with the stadium. And uh, it shows as well, you know, when you drive down Avner Road, you walked out through the supporters. Uh, today, you drive in the stadium, you don't see anybody. The distances have improved, you know, between people. The human warmth has gone a little bit more. It's all a more, bit more separated. Yeah, I know, ex I know exactly what you mean from Highbury. Though that first time you stepped in those marble halls, did, did you know even then that, that there was something special about this club and you? You, you, when you walked up the stairs there and you moved in, you knew, you know. I, I think uh, everybody who played there would, would say yes, 
would know about it. It's 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 an amazing it's an amazing building. And when you when you left it for the last time, did you did you regret it? Have you did you ever? Yes, I I, uh, I was keen as well to move into a new stadium, but uh, I knew a new chapter was starting, and maybe. Uh, I knew as well walking out there that it would be much more difficult, you know, uh, to continue to compete when you the, 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 the financial resources were, of course, much shorter. And uh, the stadium was uh, planned to be at 250 million and we finished at 428, something like that. So, of course, uh, I knew that the financial restrictions would uh, be a difficult b uh, burden. Did you, this might feel perverse, but did you enjoy managing under that burden? Yes, of course, because it was another way to, to uh, deal, to, 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 uh, to do well. For me, it was another way to do well. Did, um, taking you a bit, bit further on, during that time, obviously, one of my abiding memories covering you was um, those annual general meetings. Um, and also, you know, this comes into all those questions about the stadium and finance. Did you often feel like you were compelled to, to cool the atmosphere around the club to, to keep the supporters on side? Were you aware of that as a challenge? Uh, a little bit, but uh, I just felt as well that uh, it was a period where you could put things into perspective and uh, and explain a little bit things you know uh, it, it's amazing because uh, today the same results would be fantastic <laughs> absolutely they would you, you know you would uh, you would be a, a hero right away do you do, is that something that you would like to help Arsenal, to explain to Arsenal supporters? Do they kind of need reminding? No, 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 no. I, I think I want to, uh, everybody, uh, you know, when you, you, you give your best and when you go, you go. And uh, you leave uh, now people to do a good job and uh, to, uh, to make good results. The only thing I I'm, uh, want to say is that I left the club in a good position with a new stadium, basically paid and uh, with money. And uh, then after that, you let, you let other competent people work and uh, do their job well. Did you, during the, the time when you were, you know, the, the period in between you announcing you were leaving and the, the, the final games and going up to that final game, what was that period like for you? Well, I would say, uh, I enjoyed, uh, tried to enjoy the last moments where I was at the club. I knew that uh, certainly I would not be in touch with the club anymore because that's not what the club wanted. And uh, after all, uh, I uh, tried uh, to do as well as I could until the last moment of the season and uh, be professional until the last minute of, uh, of the season. There seemed to be a, a release of tension around the whole club. Was that something you felt when you made that statement or when the, the statement came out and you, you said you were leaving? I don't know. <laughs> of course, that, that, that's totally understandable. But you, you gave the impression early on that 
you know, that you may not enjoy saying goodbye. I think from afar, it seemed that it was something you enjoyed more than you thought you would. No, not really, no. I, uh, if I could have uh, uh, made it in a discreet way, I would have done it. I, uh, that doesn't mean I did enjoy it, but uh, overall, I feel that uh, I'm uh, looking back, I'm thankful and grateful to the way it has happened on the last day, but uh, uh, I think people will recognize that uh, I uh, tried to give my best for the club as long as I was there. I'd just like to ask you about one of your former players, um, a player that's been talked about a lot and was talked about last night after his excellent performance. Um, Olivier Giroud, both for France and for Arsenal and for Chelsea, he's a topic of sort of constant debate as to whether or not he's underappreciated, correctly appreciated. You, I remember you saying um, after or around the the Olympiacos game where he scored a hat-trick, that he had been a bit underappreciated in England. Is that still the case? Well, uh, yes, but I would say if you look at the number of games he played at Arsenal, you will be surprised, you know, mm -hmm. compared to the number of games he played at uh, Chelsea. I think until the, the last period of his career at Arsenal, he played uh, nearly every game. So. Of all, I, I uh, said that many times as well in the French national team is always a debate about him. But uh, Olivier Giroud has, uh, apart from his footballing qualities, he has an absolutely uh, strong mentality and a strong motivational level. And there's qualities that nobody else has, you know. He can always be a resource in, uh, inside uh, a club, even when he doesn't start the game. And there's a immaculate mentality is a, a real team player what is not always the case for strikers and uh, overall i i think uh, he's an exceptional personality and that's why every time you think he's uh, disappeared he bounces back did you i mean well, there must have been moments at arsenal when you thought he you know you, you were looking at other strikers i remember there was a time when welbeck played up front sanchez like uh, I said, uh, he kept surprising you, didn't he? Yeah, he's always, you know, he's uh, there's no coincidence. He has over 100 caps for France, you know. Nobody gives you 100 caps to please you. You mentioned Tottenham and your relationship with them in the, the book. Did you ever enjoy the North London derby? I did, yes, of course. Even when you did, you know, the you know, I intense, I was intense games, and that's what you want. You want to play a game of significance. And uh, that was one that had more significance than others. And was it more enjoyable, therefore, if, if the significance increases because they're Tottenham are nearer to your level when you arrived? It was, and certainly once you've been established for a while, there was a big gap in North London. But did you like seeing them get closer to Arsenal? Like, no, because I wanted us to keep a big difference always with Tottenham. Was but it... uh, they had, when I arrived, we had good teams, you know. Uh, when you look at the teams they had, they had uh, uh, very good teams with Ginola, Campbell and uh, all these players, King, Ledley King, they had great players. But uh, I think we had uh, at that time, uh, for a long time, better teams. But they, they are, I think they had uh, since 
five, six years, they had a good young generation, you know, with uh, Kane, uh, Dele Ali, and this generation. So they, uh, they uh, came back closer. You said in the book that Pat Rice always wanted you to play your strongest, most physical teams, and you always went for the technicians. Is it still a game that, that you win with your technical players, with your Henri's and Pires's? Well, no, uh, the Henri and Pires, you do not find at every corner of the street, you know. What I mean is, uh, what I wanted to say is that uh, the level of motivation and the intensity was so high that in England, when the tension is high, you think always about the uh, fight, you know. So that's what I wanted to say in that. And, and that, you know, I mean, it helped when you had these technical players that would also fight um, every inch of the way as well. They could fight as well, yes. They certainly could. Um, Arsene, I really appreciate your time. I just one final question from me. Um, broadly on, on where football is, is right now and whether at individual clubs and in the game as a whole, when results are going wrong, um, when there's tough times, do we forget about the, the values of, of clubs, of the sport? And are, are we at risk of forgetting about it now? Well, one thing we can know, I don't think uh, that, but uh, what, one thing is for sure is that we are in a period that you could uh, call a period of needed solidarity, you know, mm. and uh, that's what is basically the case at stake today. And uh, uh, in a period where the strong are maybe tempted uh, to become stronger and survive themselves, we have as well to think that uh, solidarity is uh, at the moment at stake, you know, that is a uh, the most important because we need the strong teams but we need as well the lower divisions and the lower teams. Arsene, um, thank you so much for your time. I'm I'm hugely grateful um, as a boyhood Arsenal fan. Uh, you were pretty much the only manager I ever knew. So um, I really appreciate your time. Uh, stopping. Thank to you me. very much. Thank you. Welcome back, everybody, to Kego Lasso Pod. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. And to just wrap things up, I wanted to bring James back because he knows, as I know, I do this every single day, and so does he, that when you have a guest with such magnitude, it can be kind of a tricky situation to not just book him, but also you know, what he's going to be like and what you're going to talk about, the length, the duration of the time. So I wanted to bring James back. James, welcome. A uh, fascinating chat. It was so great. Um, just how difficult was it to just, you know, have him? It's, it, it's tough. These things always take a lot longer than you think. And I know I promised to you and to my editors on at least one previous occasion, here's my date, here's my time. But you're dealing with really busy people. I mean, as he said at the beginning of the interview, this this guy's trying to reform world football. Um, he doesn't always have time to talk to CBS. Um, so, I mean, it, it's a long process. I have to say um, huge thanks to the team at Chronicle Books who are publishing his book. And I'm, I've, they've not asked me to say that, but especially Julie Baker um, and the team at Chronicle Books for helping us to get this together. I mean, it's, and then you kind of, with these things, you were in the, the lap of the gods sometimes when you get the opportunity to interview Arsene Wenger, you have to drop things. And in my case, that meant quite literally at that minute, dropping an interview with Lucas Moura because Arsene Wenger has dialed onto his Zoom call an hour early 
So he's ready to talk. So you better be ready to talk. And um, maybe that's why at the beginning I might sound a little bit taken aback, but we made it work. Um, I mean, also like, can I just reflect, and you know this as well, the quality of people we are getting on CBS Sports right now. Um, whilst I was supposed to be interviewing Lucas Moura, uh, our colleagues, Lucho Garcia, Champions League winner, and Jonathan Johnson, who hasn't won a Champions League, but can't blame him for that. Um, they were interviewing Erling Haaland, uh, and I was then supposed to be interviewing Lucas Moura. And then we were going to jump straight into Arsene Wenger and things all got a bit hectic, but we made it work. And what a trio of interviewees to have at the exact same time. Um, it was a real pleasure. Um, I mean, I don't want to kind of go too long. Um, I could talk for as long about the interview as the interview actually was. Um, but a real pleasure for me as someone that's followed Arsenal his entire life, just to hear from Arsene Wenger. And um, I know for him, I'm sure these things can get quite uh, lengthy and he's done quite a few of them. I think it's fair to say, but you know, this is a man that speaks with such wit and insight and charisma. And I'm, I'm hoping, you know, I managed to, to help him bring some of that. I really loved hearing from him about Highbury, about, uh, you know, his philosophies, um, about his regrets and, and so much else. Yeah, if you're a young Arsenal fan, I really recommend you just, you know, try and understand, you know, what that kind of Arsenal was under Wenger, especially in those early years and, and everything that he created. Uh, it was a really uh, great conversation. James, let me ask you one last thing before we say goodbye. You know, you're a, you know, lifelong childhood Arsenal fan as well. You, you know, you, you know exactly what he brought to Arsenal talking to him like what was your did, did you get what you expected was it different was it more what, what was it like I didn't I didn't get what I expected um partly because he, because he you know for for people that are of my age so I was 15 uh, 14 15 um, yeah, th 14 when Arsenal com completed their invincible season. Uh, you know, I God, you're so young. I know. <laughs> I grew up um, in this era, and I remember talking uh, back when I was doing something with a friend of mine who's also an Arsenal fan for Arsenal's 20th anniversary. And there was this thing of you know, you pretty much know that whatever happens over the rest of your life following this football club, it may well not get better than what you experience as a teenager. It is that, it's that like, you know, that, <laughs> you know, in all the high school films where people are like, this is gonna be the best summer ever. But actually that year from a football fan's perspective, it was the best year ever and you can never go back. And that's one of the odd things about, you know, people like myself covering Arsene Wenger is we've grown up in an age where he was also one of the few consistent male figures <laughs> going through our lives. And obviously he doesn't, you know, he doesn't think of it like that. For him, this is a, a passion, something he has, as he said in the interview, given his, his all to. But, you know, it's, it's a job. He doesn't really think of the impact. It, he can't, he couldn't live with thinking of the impact it's had on millions of, of people around the world of all ages. And um, so it's always a bit odd when you have that, that side of your own personal life experience, trying to meld that with your professionalism and um, trying to kind of, balance those I do I still find challenging when I talk to, to Wenger and I, I've 
been in hundreds of press conferences with him before. Um, but I mean, you know, <laughs> at the same time, I'd much rather it was an odd experience than to have no experience at all of it. And I'm extraordinarily grateful for his time. I think he's kind of, these interviews have been a really interesting way of him explaining just, just his experience. The book is, is interesting. I think it's the book he wanted to write and potentially not the book everyone wanted to read. Um, but yeah, I mean, I hope the interview is, is one that people enjoy reading and listening to and watching on HQ as well. Yeah, well, it most definitely was uh, on Kego Lasso. James Bench, uh, so great to have you. Thank you so much for the interview. And uh, again, we welcome more and more, as you mentioned, and our CBS sports team continues to grow. James, thank you so much, buddy. Thank you. I want to thank James Bench and, of course, Arsene Wenger for being part of our CBS Sports content. Make sure that you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher, and we will be back very soon as we recap all the weekend action, including the North London Derby. Have a great weekend. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG.